Welcome back to the Language Mastery Show. This is your host, John Fotheringham. In today's episode, I chat with Lindsay McMahon, the co-host of the All Ears English podcast, which is in the top 20 in Japan, Korea, China, and Brazil, and it's been downloaded more than 50 million times. That is a lot of downloads, my friends. For show notes, go to languagemastery.com slash show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You Absolutely. Invited me in your podcast, uh, I think, a few years back, and it's fun to circle back now with with you in the hot seat now. Yeah, it's great to be in the hot seat for once. It's fun for a difference. Thanks for reaching out, John. My pleasure. So, first thing I wanted to reach into is how you got into languages, and also how you got into teaching languages. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the spark began when I was, I think I was like 10 years old and my parents had an exchange student from France come and live with us in New Hampshire. You know, I grew up in a very kind of suburban rural area that was not very diverse at all. And having this kind of like 18 year old French girl in the house was like, wow, this is cool. Like someone speaks a different language at age 10, just getting open, opening my mind to that. I think planted the spark right there. Um, And then after college, I just wanted to travel. I wanted to live abroad and learn languages and get kind of expose myself to the world. And languages just came along with that. So, yeah. As a means to, you know, actually talk to anybody that are in these foreign (laughs) cultures. Exactly. I forget the exact joke, but I think it was, was it James Berry? I forget the guy's name. He, He said that, you know, despite all of the technological progress we've made in the last 50 years, many Americans are surprised that when they travel abroad, people still speak foreign languages. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> exactly. And I yeah. didn't want to be that person. So yeah. be, be the gringo, like, does anyone speak American here? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, We're trying to avoid that. So, so I think from your uh, site, I saw you lived in Japan. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about your time in Japan. Cause I also, I lived in Japan a couple of years. Did you? Yeah. So I decided to have that abroad experience right out of college. So I moved to Japan. I spent about a year and a half there. I lived in uh, Kawasaki city just outside of Shibuya, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So like a 10 minute train ride to Shibuya. It was really wow. in Tokyo essentially. Um, and I wanted that city. I wanted the big city. I wanted the cosmopolitan experience and I wanted to just jump right in. Um, so I was there for a year and a half after college, taught English with a language school and had my first kind of, kind of not first, but like first in-depth intensive experience living abroad on my own in a totally different country. So yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And that's a big, that's a big jump. I mean, uh, it's about as different probably, you know, culturally, linguistically as, as you can get in many respects, I think from the States, um, you, I know you studied TESOL. Was that prior? Was that in college? And then this no. was your first, or was that after? That was right between. So right between okay. college and going to Japan, it was that summer where I did a, a, a couple months at SIT, the School for International Training in Vermont, which is a, was a fantastic place to prepare for that. So I did that, had that kind of experience to get some of the kind of frameworks down to mm-hmm. understand 
how to actually run a classroom. And then, you know, once you go to Japan, you're often taught the school's methods. They want you to work within their method. Yes. But, you know, if you have the framework down a little bit, it's, it's helpful. Yeah, I have definitely. some idea of how to teach your native language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you have to do any kind of like practicum or practical application during the class? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. We had to go out into the community and work mm-hmm. at a just a community center a church. I can't remember what it was, but community language right. classes and work with the students. And I remember those being such intensive experiences yes. because you wanted to do so well. You wanted to prepare so thoroughly and just perform, but you were still kind of learning and stumbling as a teacher. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, I had a very similar experience. I, I did TESOL in university right before I went to Japan. So same as that. Awesome. Where did you go in Japan, by the way? So I did the jet program and so they place you somewhere. Uh, and as luck or fate would have it, my first year, I was in a very, very rural part of Hyogo prefecture, um, about two hours North of Kobe. And, uh, it was definitely intense and it was, uh, you know, sometimes lonely, but it was the perfect excuse to really up my Japanese because I'd studied some in school, but you know, it's school Japanese. So this was, you know, the perfect opportunity. It's like, if you want to talk to people and have a social life, then you're doing it in Japanese. So. Yeah. I love that. I I think you and I probably had very different experiences in a sense in Japan because living in the city, you can always bail out. You know, you can always find English in Tokyo, but in, in the rural areas of Japan, you're fully in it. You're a hundred percent in. <laughs> yeah. I think the closest foreigner at that time was about a 30 minute drive. Wow. So, and, and normally in Japan, you don't need a car, but I actually did. Cause I, the closest train station was also about 30 minutes away by car. So yeah. Yeah. Really was, different for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but they're both. And then the second year I actually lived in, in Kobe city. Um, awesome. Worked for, the, worked for the government there. So I got the, the city experience too. And they they definitely both have their, their perks. For um, sure. Did you have a chance to learn any Japanese while you were there? Definitely. Yeah, I I wanted to do that, right? Because I also, not only just living abroad, did that interest me, but also actual, the aspect of learning a language and being, being able to have that connection to know what my managers or coworkers were saying at work. I wanted to know. I wanted to be somewhat on the inside as much as I could in Japan. So I studied um, kind of mornings. We would start teaching later in the afternoon, 3 p.m., 4 p.m. So I would take the mornings and go to a community class, the same thing offered to Gajin and, you know, learning with Japanese housewives, kind of the typical way in Japan. And then I also found tutors around the city, people who just wanted to do language exchanges and that sort of thing. So on the weekends, I would go and meet up with them and we'd have a coffee. And I, I took the JLPT, like that was kind of my big goal being in Japan. I wanted to pass level four, just do something, come back with something to show for my time in Japan. (laughs) <laughs> For those that don't know, that's the Japanese language proficiency test. Yeah, exactly. Five levels. Um, yes. From, yes. So five is the most basic and then N1 is sort of the very, very advanced. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Yeah. Goals matter. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, of testing or standardized testing, but I do think it can be a really powerful motivator if you have this, like, I know I'm going to do this test this day. Yes. So but then it's how you prepare for that test. That's maybe where I would disagree with a lot of people is I don't think you should be doing, you know, really lots of grammar books and, and memorizing stuff. I think you should be communicating with real people and completely real authentic content. 
Oh, for sure. We're on the same page. I think we have to know what we need. You know, I knew that I was leaving Japan after a year and a half. I wasn't going to have this opportunity again. I had to set a deadline for myself. But I agree, like the way you go about getting that score, you have to you have to do it in, in the right way, a way that makes sense. Right. Well, yeah. I always say is, you know, there are the two ways. You can either just study for the test and then maybe do okay on the test, but then not mm-hmm. be able to communicate. Yeah. Or do you want to do well on the test and be able to communicate with people? <laughs> Why not do do both? So, so this is a good, uh, I think, transition to another thing I want to ask you about is what are some of the most common mistakes or myths that you see both in language learning, but also language teaching? Yeah, well, I think kind of the biggest mistake that students make is approaching the learning in the wrong way. So they approach it from the idea of being right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And the way that we on our podcast and with All Ears English, we approach it from a connection standpoint. So it should always be about connecting with the person. And we talk about this over and over and over on the show. Every episode, we come back to how can we use this vocabulary to connect? Um, so I think that's one of the biggest kind of mistakes that students make. That's one of them. And I also think it's a little bit of a myth of, you know, finding a native speaker that that's what we always need. Right. So, you know, in this, we're doing an event actually next month in Japan and we've hired some near native, some native speakers and some near native speakers, because I think that's needed as well. People are speaking English with different accents. There's no one right and perfect native English that we should be aspiring to practice for or with, I think. Um, that's what I think students go after. And I think it's it's a missed opportunity to practice English with a lot of different people. Right. I think it really matters where do you plan to use that language? Yeah. I mean, if somebody, this is, I'm sure you'd notice this in Japan too, is there are definitely these hierarchies people have of what they consider to be better dialects of English, for example, you know, right now off the United States is, you know, major world power. And so American English is really popular, but then also British English. Some people believe that's like more correct or more proper. And so some people focus on that. And I always would just say, it just depends where you're going to go. And if you're going to do business with a New Zealand company, then learn Kiwi English. Like that's what makes sense for you. Yeah, exactly. Later, exactly. And other dialects. So. Yeah, I think that's the case. Um, And in terms of students, I think the biggest kind of mistake they can make is in any given moment, they'll be focusing on that mistake that they just made. Maybe they have like an eye for their grammar mistakes or their vocabulary mistakes. And so what they do is they lose the connection in that moment. Everything is okay, even if they're making a mistake until they take their eyes away. When they hear their own mistake. Do you know what I mean? It's like they break the connection. It's not their mistake that breaks the connection. Right. So like, what can we do to help students in any moment? Okay. Who cares that you made a mistake? Maintain the eye contact. Keep your shoulders back. Continue the connection. I feel really passionately about that, I think, because maybe at times I've felt outside of connection with people for whatever reason, you know, as we all do at different times in our lives. So I don't want our listeners to feel that just because of a language. Are there any practical ways that you can help them feel more connection, even when their language skills are really low? Yeah. I mean, you know, it all depends. You have to scale up your learning, right? Mm -hmm. So this means you do have to spend the time learning and coming back to strategies and we have to know what we're ready for. But I think there are some things we can do. We talk a lot on our show about preparing mentally for a scenario, opening up kind of our brain box that we've, Mm -hmm. we've, talked about that term before, where 
before we go into, let's say going to a restaurant, we can imagine what vocabulary words might come up from the people at the table or what we might need. That kind of breaks down the effective filter and helps us Mm -hmm. to be more ready. So, hey, I know I'm going to hear that word and I might say this. Spending five minutes writing this down on a napkin before people show up could totally change your experience with the language, with the people. So, Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, the effective filter I think is so, so important. And for those that don't know, this is a, I think it was Crash and Stephen Crash and the one that yeah. created it. But um, it's the idea that you're feelings of anxiety or nervousness or stress, any of those things, they raise the effective filter, meaning that it's hard to use the language you actually already know. And that is hard for any new language to get in. It's like this wall that just blocks yes. that, that stuff coming in or out. So yeah, hugely important, you know, yeah. of course in Japan, you know, one of the go-to ways is, is drinking. That's yeah. That's like <laughs> their effective filters often, but that's not exactly a healthy it's yeah. a way. Especially I know. In class. It's so true. I was having a conversation with a student on Skype last week and I in Japan and I asked him why why is drinking so important in the business world after work? And he said, because it helps me relax. He just flat out said that's the reason. And I said, Okay, well, I guess if it works for you, there might be other ways too to relax. Yeah. But <laughs> we do what we have to do, right? I mean, I understand I certainly can relax after a beer or two a bit a little bit as well, for sure. I think there are two part of the the drinking especially in a business context, is they want to see the real you. They want yeah. to see the not, you know, the unpolished, the unkempt, the unreserved version of you. So yeah. they'll know if they can trust you actually in like business. That. Right. Because yeah. yeah, there it's not, I think that's a very big difference between American business in general and Japanese business is they're not yeah. doing business with a business. They're doing business with the people. For they, sure. They have created the same thing in, in China and Taiwan. It's like, it's, you're not going to do any business until there's a, you know, guanxi, like connection between the two of you. At a level. And that's where we see people making, even, even today, even in 2019, we see people making mistakes, American business people going over to places in Japan and trying to get right down to business. That's right. right. Let's yep. get right to it. Come on. I have a flight back. Let's just get yep. business done and then we can relax. But if we just flip that, that's yep. actually what we have to do to get something done. Definitely. <laughs> and I know historically, I don't think so much today, but that used to be a strategy is the you know, on the Japan side or in, in China as well, they they knew that the American had come there with a directive to get this deal done. Yeah. So they would sort of delay, delay, delay. And then right before the person was getting on the plane, they would be able to, because they knew they had the time on their, on their oh, side. That's they would force a deal that was, you know, more in their favor. But anyway. It's smart. It's smart. Yep. yep. Good strategy. Do, do you work with certain native speaker groups mostly, or is it kind of all over the board? Certain native speaker groups. Yeah, so the people that are that you're working with that are learning English, where what are their native languages mostly, or is it okay. kind of well, all over the board? Yeah, so well, primarily, so our biggest way of teaching right now is through is still through our podcast. So our listeners yeah. listen. Twenty percent of our audience is in Japan, um, and our next largest country is China mm-hmm. and Korea, Brazil. Are there are a lot of Brazilian listeners. So those are kind of the big listening uh, bases. Mm-hmm. We also do preparation for the IELTS exam. So Got if it. you want, we could talk about that. So that's a more specific area for sure. But so they're really from all over the world in terms of who listens to our podcast. And recently we've been experimenting with some live events um, in the last few years. So we've had students from Europe, 
uh, South America and Asia join those events in Japan, Boston, and New York. So those are kind of the listener base is from all over the, the world. And we engage with them at different levels, whether it's in an online course, just the podcast, or actually coming to the U.S. for a weekend event. So, yeah. so with, uh, with the Japanese aren't specifically the start there, are there certain mistakes that you see them make most often in learning English? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we see the consistent mistakes in grammar. We see consistent mistakes in pronunciation. You know, certain things that we hear, you know, we tend to see repeated. I mean, they're just repeatable patterns. Absolutely. And so sometimes we can sort of identify those and help students anticipate them maybe a little bit. And we've done different episodes over the last five years trying to kind of get at those and how can we anticipate them and move around them uh, for sure. But I think we can certainly, our listeners can identify patterns that may happen within their culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's that same, you know, interference, I think challenges both ways, you know, us as native English speakers learning Japanese, you know, there's, we'll often make the same things over and yeah. over. You know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll always insist on saying, something, something, something. It's like, well, they don't actually usually say that. Very right. <laughs> right. English, we always have to say I da, 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 or you. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, yeah. So Japanese, structure, right? They almost mm-hmm. drop the, the pronoun almost all the time. Yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting. So I, I see that a lot. Yeah, in different culture, I can literally hear them translating directly. Sometimes we can hear people directly, even in Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese, but I almost feel like I understand the structure based on the way some people translate directly from English to Portuguese or back or back and forth. So absolutely, that happens. And I think the way to get around that is immersing ourselves in in the language. Um, you know, one thing that I always kind of try to get our listeners to do is let's take the focus off of learning just to learn. Mm -hmm. Let's do something using the language. Um, And I have some examples you can go into that of some students who have done that. What are some of the sort of high context, you know, ways that you, you think it's most effective and most fun to learn? Yeah. Well, I could tell you a story about one of our listeners who did this and I saw a massive improvement in his level. So his name is Massimo and he, we talked about him on the podcast last week. He actually, he joined one of our urban immersion adventures in Boston. And then he came back the following summer and volunteered with Haley House, which is a, um, a soup kitchen organization in Boston where they serve meals to the homeless community in the South end of Boston. He lived at the center as a full-time volunteer so what he was doing was cooking meals for the community, socializing with the people that came in every week, building community there, and then living with native speakers right in the house. And he literally, so what he was doing was he was using English, not to focus on it, not to sit down and take notes and worry about it, but to do something more, more important. I think that's what it came, comes down to is let's do something more important than learning the language. Right. Let's, like, let's, let's create a result through the language. And that's what he did. And then before he went home to Italy, I remember having a beer with him and saying, oh my gosh, your improvement is incredible. You're not making any grammar mistakes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's unbelievable. So that to me is the best example I've seen recently of how one of our students has taken it on himself to go and find a deeper experience in the the native language. That's really cool. Yeah. And to be able to serve others along the way. Yeah. To have that immediate need and that immediate, you know, two-way checking of, you know, okay, are their eyebrows raising? Do they actually understand what I'm saying? Like, 
Yeah, that that's so it, so important. It also puts you out of your head, right? Because yeah. if you're there serving meals to this community, you realize there are bigger problems in the world than just the fact that you made a grammar mistake three minutes ago. Right. It just doesn't matter that much, you know. Yeah. I I find that really inspiring. I think that's what it's about, right there. That's cool. Yeah, that's a really and good for him. I mean, I don't know if yeah. they're accepting sainthood nominations, but definitely he. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know you said that. That's cool. <laughs> Is there anything you've changed your mind on in the last, you know, three or five years or so of both learning and teaching languages? Yeah, actually, I had thought about that beforehand. Um, I think one of the things that has made me change my mind is I've taken a perspective more as running Allers English as a leader in our business, more about the idea of how can we focus on what's most important in that moment. So when I, as a, you know, as a language learner or as a business owner in the beginning, I may have said, I need to know everything before I can go out and and speak and do this. But now we're doing so many projects here at All Ears English. I think it's more about what do I need to do right now to get to tomorrow, to get Mm -hmm. this program off the ground, to make sure the basics are in place so that then the next day I can deal with what the next level problem is or issue or thing we need to do. Does that make sense? So these days, my perspective on language learning is more about the, it comes from the perspective of running a business and being a leader in a business actually. And that's, that's what it's about. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like essentialism. You don't have time to be a perfectionist about your business, about every aspect of it, because there are things that have to get done. And yeah, basically too, right. you you don't have time to be a perfectionist about grammar or pronunciation. It's just, I needed to communicate and get this yeah. done. And on top of that, there are moving parts, right? So within any given project, things change during the week. Mm-hmm. And there are other things I have to prioritize. And that could also happen in our language learning. You know, Maybe we're assigned a presentation all of a sudden, and now I have to change the order of what I'm prioritizing in my studies. I can't just stick to the old way. I have to be flexible. So I think as I've grown as a leader in a, in a business, that's what's, that's where my mentality has changed. How do you prioritize? (laughs) It's really, it's, it's tough, but it's really about like, about that. It's like, what has to happen? What is, it's kind of a quick mental calculation, right? Where I sit down and I say, here are all the things that have to get done, but what's going to move us ahead the most? Mm -hmm. What's going to kind of push the needle forward? And it's not easy. It's a constant no, challenge still. It is. It's one of the hardest things in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Especially I find it's the, you know, there's the Eisenhower, you know, four quadrants of urgent versus yeah. important, right? And the it's the non-urgent important quadrant. That's so hard because it's, Ugh. right? It's the stuff like, you know, five years from now, if you do those things today, it'll help your business or it'll help your language learning, but it doesn't have to be done today. And there are exactly. other things that do, or at least seem like they have to be done today. So, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I find that those things tend to be um, starting a new course, for example, building a course, starting a new program, the big picture things that are going to build up opportunities for your students, for the people you're trying to serve. And then there are always the fires you have to put put out. Right, always. there are those yep. things too that get in the way of <laughs> <Yeah>. those. <laughs> Every day there's a new fire to That's put right. out. Yeah. So where do you see All Ears English five years from now? What does that look like? What are you, what are you guys doing on, yeah. a, on either a day-to-day basis or in a more you know, global sense? Yeah, so I think 
above all, All Ears English has always been a way to inspire people to make them feel positive about learning English, to make them feel like, hey, I can learn in 15 minutes a day and actually look forward to it. Because I'm going to be thinking about something other than grammar and vocabulary. I'm going to be thinking about my life. I'm going to be thinking about how to become, I don't know, more ambitious in the world or do something big in the world. I'm going to feel good when I learn. So five years from today, that's still going to be there. People are still going to be able to get 15 minutes of All Ears English four days a week to get their dose of it. But we're going to be branching out beyond that, hopefully doing live events in places like Brazil next year. Um, continuing with our events in Japan, as well as offering apps and courses and ways that people can engage kind of in between the daily listening and the more immersive events. So at every level, we want to help people find that way to get to what we call connection, not perfection, Mm. which is still our slogan. It has been since the first year and it's still, it's stuck with us because it makes sense more and more every, every day, actually. No, it's it's a good (laughs) mantra. And I, I need to remember that myself a lot more often because I, I always say I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I I don't know if recovering that wouldn't be the perfect word to use recovering because I still <laughs> resort back to still but, battling right. That's okay. Yeah. You're getting better, so that's what matters. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's a good slogan. Uh, obviously, you guys create your own materials and resources, but are there any uh, apps or other books or tools out there in the in the wild uh, that you guys? recommend or use often? For sure. Yeah. So a lot of times, so our listeners are pretty high level learners. They tend to be upper intermediate to advanced learners. The people that listen to our shows are two like podcasts. B2, C1 or? Yeah, like I would. Yeah, exactly. So they tend to be able to understand 80 to 90% of our audio and our audio, mm-hmm. we don't slow down. It's very, um, it's very natural, just kind of rapid fire conversations, a lot of laughter, a lot of very random interjections. It's super natural. So the ones who do the best with our show understand that. So we tend to recommend to them, not so much learning materials, but actual materials. Authentic I really like content, yeah, authentic right? materials. Mm-hmm. I really like the daily, the daily podcast. It's the New York Times podcast where mm-hmm. they go behind the scenes of one story and go a lot deeper so that you can fully understand the issue. I've, I like that. And we do recommend that to our higher level listeners. So news sources where people can go and consume the news or consume something regarding pop culture in the native language. And I think that's what we should be aspiring to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause again, that that's the goal, right? I mean, to be able to yes. actually not just communicate with native speakers, but also to consume content intended for native speakers. Exactly. We we shouldn't be creating a cocoon for ourselves. I mean, at yeah. some point in the beginning, I do think we need that. We need we do need grammar study. We need to understand structure in the beginning, but we should be opening up gradually over time mm-hmm. and eventually should be outside of the cocoon of learning English um, and out into the world and not not protecting ourselves in any way. Right. Yeah, because it's a it's a crutch at best, but often it's actually a self-created well, you yes. use the word cocoon or, you know, it's like a little walled garden where if that's where you spend your entire, you know, language learning time over years or even decades, you know, and then you happen to go outside the walls of that garden, of course, you're not going to understand what exactly out there. But it's so sad because they think then, oh, I'm stupid or I, I didn't study hard enough. It's like, no, 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 no. You just, you stay in, in this little walled area of, of exactly. fake you know, mm-hmm. hyper controlled 
language usage, which is just, you know, yeah. you're got, you got good at that. Right. That's what you practiced, but yeah. yeah. It's so true. And our mind will create the, as we said, with the affective filter, our mind will create the limitations that we tell it to create, right? If we tell our mind, hey, we're only going to do this. We're going to stay in this place. It'll keep you there. But if you say, no, that's not my limit. I'm, you know, I'm eventually heading towards going to that party and speaking naturally or doing that program and connecting on a deeper level with that native speaker, then we can get there. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you just, you get better at what you spend the time practicing and I think so. Yeah. Especially with well, Japan and uh, my experience there and them learning English, especially is they would spend 90% of the time learning about English in Japanese. Right. I, <laughs> I had a similar experience. And so what they got good at was explaining English grammar rules in Japanese. Oh no. Yeah. Became, no, no. You know, became professional at doing that. And, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. If you want to be a, you know, a, a linguist and and need to do that great but if you want to actually go and order a coffee in you know right. boston like that or a beer yeah. a beer yeah you know, that's that you got it you got it <laughs> yeah. you're natural <laughs> uh, yeah you got to practice that yeah it's true yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i just i always like to hit that home it's you're not broken your method is so yeah I, I, one, one other thing I noticed that students, you're right to that end. So students will send us emails and say, how can I improve my English? They'll explain their whole scenario and say why they're being held back. But if they had spent that time actually going out and consuming something in English or doing something, taking action, they could have changed their situation. There's a lot of time spent thinking about where we're stuck and not actually taking action, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with the internal and external locus of control? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people get, not just in language learning, but life in general, of course, is this idea that yes. we, we hyper-focus on all the things that are wrong, that, that are blocking us or that we can't control. But there's so many things we do have power over um, yeah, if we think that way, if we start looking at it. So that's that's really interesting because when I think about that concept, I think about how different it can be culturally. So mm-hmm. how our culture gives us messages that our control is external, external or our control is internal. I think in the U.S., we get the message from day one that we can control our circumstances, mm-hmm. whereas other cultures may not. And so that plays into our attitude towards what we can do with language. Yes quite a bit. So it's always interesting to think about that culturally, I think. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. The individualistic versus collectivist cultures, I think yeah. to, to the point it, it, it's manifested very differently. And um, that definitely was a common theme I noticed, especially in Taiwan where I lived for a number of years is there was this, this sense that you're so lucky that you can come go live abroad. You know, I could never do that. You know, my family um. would never, never right. be okay with me going to the States or somewhere else. And I thought, yeah. but you're, you're a grown up. You can, you can yeah. make this choice. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not saying there will be consequences, but you can choose right. to do that. Yeah. Very interesting. But, yeah. That's fascinating how like our basic cultural values influence everything we do in life and everything, everything. we achieve for yeah. better or for worse. I mean, we're right. not saying good or bad. It's just, you end up in one place or another for sure. Yeah. yeah. They're like tinted lenses that we see everything through. And yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah. And that's something, I mean, I'm 39 and just in the last few years, even myself, I've noticed the little cultural lenses that 
that I've never even questioned. I'm starting to sort of, you know, lift those lenses up a little bit for at least brief periods of time to realize like, oh, wow. Okay. There's bias there and there's bias. And I, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why travel is so important, right? I mean, that's why we have to keep traveling. Um, I feel like when you're, when you grow up in the U S maybe you're in your twenties, it's easy sometimes like for some people it can be easy to travel in your twenties. You're kind of not so necessarily tied down, but later right. in life, can you keep traveling? That's the big challenge. Now I'm also Absolutely. in my mid to late thirties. I'm 37. It's like, okay, what is my life going to look like moving forward? And am I going to keep traveling or am I just going to kind of get a little lazy, <laughs> you know? So, well, or busy. I mean, you got like, you, busy. Said, you right. have the business to run and all these fires yeah. put out. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard to say, okay, guys, I'm going, I'm, Peace. Yeah. I'm, I'm off to New Zealand for yeah. you know, yeah. three weeks or wherever. Or yeah. Guatemala or wherever. Yeah. So where, where is next for you? Do you think travel wise? Yeah. So travel wise. Yeah. Well, you know, we took a trip this year to Cambodia, which was amazing. Cool. Um, so it was a big year this year for traveling. I actually have been thinking about New Zealand, <laughs> mm. um, but I think there'll be a summer road trip on tap mm. this summer. I'd like to see some more of the national parks in Canada and the American West. I'm mm. kind of infatuated with the West. Um, I mean, it is I, the best, the best side of the country. Let's be honest. I mean, the West coast, best coast, as they say, right. where, where are you based by the way? So I currently live about four hours east of Seattle, but I grew up yeah, in Western Washington state and Southern California. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I'll be headed out there probably potentially to move out there out West this fall, but just for a road trip in the meantime. Yeah. We might be moving potentially to California or Colorado. It's kind of up in the air still depends on a few things, but heading West, hopefully heading West. (laughs) Manifest destiny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Well, any uh, final last words of encouragement for somebody who's just starting out in either English or in a foreign language? What, What would you say to that person? Yeah, I just think, you know, keep your eye on on what matters. And it feels a little redundant to continue to say it, but I feel like we have to say it to ourselves every day. When we pick up a podcast, pick up a book, keep your eye on why are you learning? You are not learning English to learn English or any language to learn the language. You're learning to connect. I believe you're learning to connect with a person in front of you, a group in front of you, or some kind of material, but it's about connection. It comes back to that. So always think about that when you're preparing and when you're speaking. That's what I would say. I love it. Connection, not perfection. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lindsay. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put links to the site and the podcast in the show notes. And Sounds good. Cool. All right. All right. Thanks, well, John. Good luck. It was great talking with you. you know, good luck with the firefighting and hopefully uh, <laughs> keeping the eye on the on the the five year uh, yeah important stuff. So thanks. Good luck to you as well with the so, podcast. That's exciting you so that you're you're out there. Awesome. Yeah, it's good to be back. All right. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show. For show notes, go to languagemastery.com slash show. And if you like what you heard and want to keep the show going, there are two ways you can help support me. One, go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. That helps more people find the show. And two, if you are learning Japanese, go to japanesemastery.com to check out my Master Japanese book, which shows you how to learn the language through immersion anywhere in the world. All right, we'll see you next week.